Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Spirit, you freely give of your gifts. Empower us to do the same. You may be seated. Though you're not quite finished hearing from me yet. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to read our scripture this morning as we continue our series, Clash of the Kingdoms, in the book of Mark. So from Mark 6, 1 to 13. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The word of the Lord. Let me add my good mornings to the many that have been said to you already. Good to be with you today. For those in the room and joining us online, my name is Wade. Happy to be back with you again this weekend as we continue in this series through Mark. Uh, Being able to be with you two weekends in a row, uh, it's been a sweet gift, and uh, just love getting to know some of you, and uh, God's peace and grace to Stony Plain Alliance this weekend. So as we come into Mark 6, Jesus has been actively proclaiming and demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God. We see that early on in Mark, mostly in Mark 4, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God is like, and now in this text, it says that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And, that, and then sent his disciples to preach a message of repentance. Now, in Luke 9, it states it more explicitly. But we can be sure that Jesus' teaching in the synagogue was about one thing. It was about the kingdom of God. And the message of repentance was about turning from the kingdoms and agendas of the world and embracing life in the kingdom of God. Now, that may sound fine and good, but a pro- uh, apparently this proclamation wasn't always well received. You see, the text says that people of Jesus' hometown were offended by him 
in what he was teaching. And I want you to hang on to that word offended or took offense, as it says in Mark 6.3. We're going to come back to that word right at the end as we're wrapping up. So hang on to that word took offense or offended. For our time, though, for the next few moments, I want to remind us of what the kingdom of God is and then see how the kingdom of God advances in our lives. Those two things. What is the kingdom of God? That's what Jesus was teaching about. That's what he sent his disciples to participate in. And then figure out how the kingdom is going to advance in our lives and in our communities. Those are the two things. Because although the kingdom of God was what Jesus spoke about all the time and and lived out in his person, we can have a little trouble defining what he was talking about. The kingdom of God, well, what is that? It can kind of get fuzzy and confusing. So let's start with a definition. What is the kingdom of God? Well, a technical phrase that people throw around sometimes, it's often used to define the kingdom of God, says this, it's the range of God's effective will. The range of God's effective will, what does that mean? Well, it's the sphere in which whatever God desires is exactly what happens. It's the reality in which every person in all of creation is in, li- is in alignment with the love, mercy, and justice of God all the time. Super clear now? We can move on? Got it? Probably not. Well, good news for us is the writers of Scripture spent an enormous amount of time reflecting on the kingdom of God, on what the earth would look like if it was aligned rightly with the kingdom of God. If human lives could experience the kingdom of God reality, they started reflecting on this a lot. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Jesus. And then people who heard Jesus' teaching and started to live his into his way of life, to apprentice with Jesus, wrote even more about this reality of the kingdom of God. Now, because the kingdom of God involves spiritual reality, and spiritual reality is really hard to describe, mostly, scripture writers used images or metaphors to convey what life would be like under God's administration, under God's rule. So what would it look like? I mean, like right now, what would it look like if God's kingdom was to come like Jesus was teaching about? To have heaven touch earth in a way that is transformational, what would happen? Well, the Bible talks about this relative to different areas of human life. So first of all, there's the sphere of economics and human need. When we talk about the kingdom of God, for example, John writes in Revelation 7, 16, about the day when God's kingdom is fully realized. And it says, never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst. Now just pause and think about what that would be like. The elimination of hunger. No more pictures of little kids with swollen bellies. No more scarcity. No more mothers trying to scrounge around for enough food so that their babies could survive another day. This happens in our world, but in the kingdom of God, it doesn't. But the vision is not just about the end of poverty. The writers of scripture, as they imagined the inbreaking of God's kingdom, would write about the overflow of abundance that would occur in God's kingdom. A prophet named Amos wrote about this. He says, the days are coming when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps, and new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Now, when Amos wrote that, he was living in this kind of semi-arid desert context. And they would reap and then have to wait a long time for the rains to come because it wasn't very fertile ground. 
And there's Amos sitting in this context of kind of scarcity and dryness. And he says, but this idea of abundance in the kingdom of God is like, it's like we're all being redeemed from a curse. And the one who plows and the one who reap, they all bump into each other because there's so much abundance flowing and there's no gap in provision. And writers would talk about the sphere of politics. And Jesus talked, some people say Jesus wasn't political. Read the Gospels again. He's very political. And he started to talk, even in this teaching in Mark, he's probably talking about politics in some way. Which in our history is mostly the story of human conflict. But Isaiah starts to dream of this. A prophet started to dream about what the kingdom of God looks like visited in the political sphere. And he says, oh, this is what it's like. He says, God will judge between the nations and settle disputes for people. And think about these words. Some of you have heard these before. He says, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You know the tension in eastern Ukraine right now? Real people experiencing that kind of tension. How about none of that anymore? No more fighting. No more hatred. Nations won't have use for swords anymore, so they'll beat them into plowshares. In our day, this would be like saying, let's take all the weapons of conflict, melt them down, and use the raw material to build playgrounds for kids. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And John says in his vision that the city of this, the, the great city of God, God's community, he uses the image of saying, in God's kingdom, the streets are paved with pure gold. One way of looking at that is saying, you know, in our lives right now, so many people fight and there's conflict over gold, right, over money, over resources. And he's saying, in the kingdom of God, the stuff we're fighting for now just becomes pavement. The stuff you're devoting your lives to and killing yourself for, it's just the stuff you walk on. Because in the kingdom of God, the value system flips upside down. And John says, in this city is surrounded by 12 gates, and each gate is made of a single pearl. And what he's using is this imagery to say that the kingdom of God will be a place where the human hunger for beauty is fully satisfied. And the creative genius that God has placed in people and made in his image, the image of the creator will blossom and flourish And every day is a masterpiece. Sounding good so far? (laughs) Scripture writers say in the kingdom of God, there'll be no more fear. John puts it like this in Revelation 21. says, on no day will God's city's gates ever be shut because there's no nighttime there. Now, in biblical times, of course, there wasn't electricity. Night was a time of darkness, a time of vulnerability, a time when crimes were committed, a time of fear. And these writers would talk about this imagery of the kingdom of God and saying, it's like, those days are over. No more locked doors, no more gated communities, no more security systems and no combinations. And someone better say amen to this, you will never lose your keys because there are no keys because there's no locks. And everyone just went like that to their significant other. And the kingdom of God's going to redeem family life. Luke 1.17 says, He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Dream about this church. No more separations. No more divorce. No more abuse. No neglect. 
and no more, any more unloved, unwanted children because every child will be wanted and embraced. And then maybe, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful words about the kingdom at all is in Revelation 21. Where John says, I hear a loud voice calling out, saying the dwelling place of God is now with people. And he lives with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Now think about these words. And he says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. You ever think about what that means? You know, when we're standing in the presence of God, it's not saying that you're crying in front of him and Jesus is wiping your tears. He says he will wipe every tear from your eyes. You know what that image is referring to? In the presence of God, it's like everything you've ever cried about goes in reverse. And everything sad and painful in your life becomes untrue in the presence of God like it never happened. He's seen all your tears. He's seen what you've cried. And in his presence, as he redeems and makes everything right, it's every tear gets wiped from your eye. Think of how much you've cried about. Because he says there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And every day you will be at home with God, right where you should be. In Ezekiel, it says that God promises, I will remove their hearts of stone, replace them with a heart of flesh. No more stony hearts, no more cold hearts, no more stubborn hearts. You'll never say something you'll regret later and never do anything you'll ever have to be ashamed of or feel guilty about. And when you see somebody else's success or beauty or wealth, it won't even occur to you to be envious, but only to rejoice as if it had happened to you yourself. And every tribe and tongue and people and nation will gather as brothers and sisters around the throne, the dividing walls that stand between us gone. And you will see and you will look into the face of God. And he is our God and we will be his people. And your every thought will be a prayer. And every prayer will be like a conversation with God. And God himself will wipe every tear from your eye. Maybe you're like me and part of you wonders as Jesus stood in the synagogue and preached this kind of message there in Mark 6, we start to wonder, can this really be? Is it possible that the earth can be redeemed? Will the day ever really come when God's will is done fully? Is this real? Or is this just God's dream related to wishful thinking? Well, we need to know, and you're going to see it again in Mark as you go through with various teachers over the next few weekends. You need to know that the whole message and life of Jesus was about the lived reality of the kingdom of God. It's in the Gospels, one of the phrases he repeats again and again, the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he's not saying it's getting kind of close. He's saying it's now available, it's at hand. You see, in human history, one life has already been lived on this earth, in the flesh, in which, in which God's will had unhindered sway. Whose life was it? Whose life was lived in the full reality of the kingdom of God? This is the easiest Sunday school answer you're ever going to have to give. It was Jesus. Very good. You see, Jesus bore in his own person, in his flesh and blood, the reality of the kingdom of God. And everybody that saw him or encountered him saw a life lived in the full reality of the kingdom of God. A life in which whatever God was desiring is exactly what was chosen every time. 
And then he says to the people of his day, and he says to people like you and me, that it's now possible. You see, this is the gospel, that it's now possible for human beings to live in the presence and power of God, and you can do it right now. And it's the greatest offer you'll ever receive. The invitation of Jesus is you follow me. Come be my apprentice. Do life my way. Learn from me how to live in my Father's kingdom. And you become part of reclaiming the dream that had been broken by sin and and devastation. You know, we talk sometimes around in life about the power of vision. And I think Jesus cast the ultimate, most compelling vision the human race has ever heard. And when men and women heard it, and they understood it, and they devoted their hearts to it, they sacrificed their possessions for it, they sacrificed their careers for it, they sacrificed their homes for it, and they lived for it, and they died for it, and they did it with joy. They did it with laughing and weeping and dancing, unable to believe their good fortune that the kingdom of God was now open to them right where they lived in real time. You see, the church from the beginning held to the truth that the kingdom of God was both a current reality and a future hope. It was both now and a yet to come. And they chose to live in the reality of the kingdom of God now, even though externally the world around them was yet to be fully redeemed. It's like being a community of hope and peace and love and justice and mercy, even when the world hasn't caught up to that yet. And the church believed that in following Jesus, they could join him in closing the gap between how things are and how they ought to be. And they didn't passively just bide their time on earth simply waiting to go to heaven someday. They believed that the reality of heaven could be lived now and that God's mission to reconcile everything to himself was happily worth giving their lives for. Now, I'm not sure when it happened, but somewhere along the line, a belief kind of grew up in the church that said, you know what? You know what our main deal is? Our main deal is to get people saved and get us to heaven someday. Get us off this rock, man. Like, get us out of here. And that kind of became a core message of the Western church. I mean, don't concern yourself with issues of injustice or poverty. Don't worry about violence or racial inequality or economic oppression or sexual discrimination or what's happening in creation. You know what? Say a prayer, get your ticket to glory, and spend the rest of your time kind of feeding yourself good spiritual food, getting all bulked up for heaven, while the rest of the world is starved for justice. Why? Because it didn't matter. I mean, the whole place is going up in smoke anyway, so do our best to be good until we go to heaven. It became the main message of the Western church for far too long. And the damage of that thinking has been extensive. Because the credibility of the church to have a voice and to have influence into the most important issues in our world has been diminished, but that is not God's desire for us. The good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus lived and spoke about is that his church right now can join him every day in being a reconciling force in the world right now. We are not just a church with a future hope. We're a people that have a living hope present and active in us right now. All of that is the answer to the first question. So what's the kingdom of God? Well, there you have it. Is it more clear now? I hope so. 
You see, when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Mark 6 and then sending the disciples to preach and set people free, you know what it was? It was like a full-on proclamation and demonstration of the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. Preaching a vision of a life you can live now. Setting people free from the powers of darkness. And people, though some didn't, some bought into that and gave their lives for it. So, how does the reality of this kingdom advance forward in our lives in the world? How does it actually happen? And this is so important to grasp. It's right in our text that we're finally getting to. This is so important to grasp. The kingdom of God, please hear me on this. This is so critical. The kingdom of God always advances by consent, not coercion. And that's what our text is showing us about how the kingdom of God advances. You see, we see in Mark 6, Jesus teaches about the kingdom, and they're all amazed by this vision that he's casting there. But then they start to think, hey, we know this guy. And he's saying that he's the embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth. All of that stuff that the prophets had talked about, Jesus started to speak about this is now being fulfilled in your presence right now. That's what he's doing in the synagogue. And they remember, hey, we know him. We know who his mom is. We know who his family is. What's going on here? And it says they took offense at him. We're back to that word I said we'd get here. And that word offense comes from this interesting little Greek word pronounced scandalizo. Scandalizo. You remember, we may have English words that come from that. Scandal. In this context, you know what that means? People weren't just upset at Jesus for who he was and what he was saying. He says they were feeling scandalized by him. And in that context, it meant they looked at Jesus and thought, we're being trapped, we're being tricked, we're being ensnared, we're being coerced, we're being manipulated. Because there's no way that you, Jesus, are the embodiment of the kingdom of God that you've just talked about. You see, people hear and see Jesus, and they assume he's trying to manipulate them or trap them. Which is why in the next verses, he talks about not being able to do many miracles. It's not that the people wanted to be healed, but lacked faith. Like, come on, guys, gumption up the faith here. That's not what it's saying. It says they didn't believe that Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom of God, and therefore didn't consent to his miracles. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is extending the invitation to life in the kingdom. He's saying, I will even heal as a demonstration of what the inbreaking of God's kingdom looks like. And they're like, no thank you. And what does Jesus do? Does he force his way? Does he say, well, I'm picking up some people and healing them anyway. Does he start laying hands on people and slapping people in the head? No. He just kind of amazed and lets them live with the consent that they were comfortable with. Did they miss out on something? Of course. Think of what we talked about last weekend. Little girls being raised from the dead, women being healed, lives being transformed, but in this one community, they said, no, thank you. And Jesus, the full embodiment of the power of the kingdom of God, says to people who say, no, thank you, you know what his response is? Okay. If you don't want it, I'm not forcing my way. Now, most kingdoms, when faced with resistance, what do they do? 
fight. They power up. They dominate by force. What does Jesus do? He extends the invitation to life in the kingdom, and when it is refused, he doesn't force his way in. You see, his kingdom, church, his kingdom advances through the invitations of Jesus being extended, and then people like you and me consenting to join him and be empowered by him. And it's even how he sends his disciples. In all those instructions, hey, not much money in the bag, not an extra cloak. You know why he says all that? He says, go in a position of weakness so that you can't overpower people with your look, your position, or your money. He says, you just go proclaiming a kingdom. And for those that accept you in, go in by consent. Those that don't want you, don't like set up a camp and do like an insurgency. No, Jesus said. He says, you leave. And he says, even shake the dust. And we kind of get this idea that it's kind of down in this pouty manner where we're shaking dust off. Shaking the dust off was an act of mourning. It was an act of grief. And it's like this testimony against them is that they didn't give their consent. And Jesus says, that saddens me, but I will not force my way. So how will the kingdom of God and all he promised that we've talked about become manifest in us? It will never happen, and it cannot happen by force, by coercion, or manipulation in trying to trap us into something. The kingdom of God will advance here today in your lives and in mine and in our community when we hear the invitations of Jesus and respond with our consent to be part of what he's doing. So what is Jesus inviting you to today? I was thinking a lot about this week, the way the invitations of Jesus come to us. You know, sometimes we think that the one invitation of Jesus was way back when, when he said, follow me. And so we did, and we said a prayer and got saved and didn't realize that we need to continually be saved each and every moment. And with every invitation of Jesus, it's a new step into freedom. And I just wonder what our loving, merciful, kind Jesus is inviting us to today. I wonder if some of you are hearing the invitations of Jesus to move into a place to speak words of blessing and encouragement over someone. You know how the kingdom of God might advance today? When you send that message or make that call to encourage that person that's been on your mind. It seems small, I know. In the kingdom of God, it's not. That's living into a kingdom reality. It's an invitation to be generous and maybe all we want to do is hold tight to our stuff. You might hear the invitation of Jesus to become a person of prayer instead of reacting with anger. You might be hearing the invitation of Jesus today to be open and transparent about some mental health struggles with someone you care about who can guide you towards help. And the invitation of Jesus and what it means to live fully into the kingdom today is simply to be open with a trusted person about your need. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to speak out against some form of injustice and not remain silent, to have your voice heard on an issue that you know is close to the heart of God and that he's opening your heart to. Maybe it's getting alongside some people who are really hurting and struggling, and although you may not be able to answer all their problems, right now the invitation of Jesus is for you to be present to someone. 
I wonder for some parents if the invitation of Jesus, what it actually sounds like to live fully into the reality of the kingdom of God today might be talk more gently with your kids. And you think, oh, whatever. That is living into the kingdom reality. It's how God's love and his way advances in the world. This is how the reality of the kingdom advances in our lives and communities. You don't have to have full, unquestioning faith. Jesus is willing to meet you at the place of your belief today and invite you forward one step at a time. And with every yes, with all the consent that we give to Jesus, his kingdom vision becomes more and more and more real in our lives. Friends, he is not out to trick you. And Jesus is not out to trap you or coerce you or manipulate you into some kind of moralism. Not at all. Jesus is inviting us into freedom. He is so good. You can trust this Jesus who at no time ever forces his way but leads us in his love. I'm going to call our worship team up and we're going to reflect for a moment. And we're actually going to participate together in an invitation in just a moment when we partake of the bread and the cup. So for those in the room, if you didn't receive the communion elements when you came in, I invite you to take some. For those joining us at home, if you have some bread, some wine, some juice, whatever you'd like, in just a few moments, we're going to respond to the invitation to receive mercy. And our worship team's going to lead us in some reflection here. And then I'll come back up and lead us in the taking of the bread and the cup. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.